Sorry, I was back there talking. <laughs> I was going to blame it on Cam. I was like, Cam, quit talking to me. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, how about that last song? Was that last song not just amazing? Was it not? That harmony they hit at one point where Chris and Wendy and Tara, I just, I, I, didn't, I didn't stop worshiping, but I stopped singing, right? Because I'm like, I ain't messing this up, right? I just, I just, I was, I was inspired by the, the gift and the anointing that was on their life in that last song. So can you just say thank you to the worship team for everything that they do? Come on. So rich. So rich. Well, I'm going to have you turn me down just a little bit because I'm going to probably get a little bit louder. Hey, so a couple of quick things. A, uh, um, I just can't emphasize enough, if you've been visiting with us as of recent, uh, do Discovering City Life for the next three weeks, right? You're, we're making it easy for you. There's child care. On the third night, we do a dinner together that's free, uh, big pizza and salad, and I come in at the end and do some question and answer, but we do it during the, the sermon time. And I know sometimes you might say, well, I don't want to step out of the service. That's what the podcast is there for. And if you're really thinking about this becoming your church home, I'm telling you, those three weeks are an investment that you don't want to miss out on. And uh, there's going to be lots more messages for you uh, throughout your journey with us here at City Life. So if you're, if you're new to us, or if you've been with us for a little while and, and, and God's really speaking to your heart about taking the next step of saying, no, I really am supposed to commit here and, uh, and to make this my church home, then so you don't, don't let feeling conspicuous, right? There's always somebody in there that's been at the church for a couple of years and uh, that they've just never done one of those classes before. And so I want to encourage you to do that. It's going to be good. So, hey, we are, uh, I would say, somewhat putting our series on hold. We launched a new series last week called Good News. I say somewhat because we're going to come back and really emphasize what this series is all about at the end of the service. But until we get there, this is what we call a welcome weekend. We do one of these at the beginning uh, of Discovering City Life. It's the launch of Discovering City Life. It's our way of talking to you about who the church is. And so if you're new, this is for you. If you're not new, this is for you. Because you can't hear too much about the vision of the church. You can't be reminded too much about the culture of the church and what our mes message is, what our mission is. And so this is for everyone, everyone tonight. And so I always like to start when we teach on this particular text out of Matthew that we're going to, we do welcome weekends different every time. But uh, I always like to start out with a little bit of a, a participation moment. We like participation here uh, at City Life. And so when, what's, what is something that's at your house that is unique? So that if we were at your house instead of my house, how would we know we're there? What, what's something about your house that's unique? Right? Right? Maybe something, uh, uh, the, the way you decorate or just something, something that's unique about your house. Hannah. Yeah, coffee. hundred different kinds of coffee. David is a French press evangelist and he's converted me as of, as of recent. So, all right, somebody else, somebody over here, Sally. Your dogs, yes, how many? Two, two dogs, yeah, because you're, you're not going to find those at my house, so that's a good comparison of what's different, right? Oh, that's good. Micah? A big koi pond, yes. And do you know how many, I've been there before, it's a lot. Do you know how many you have? 50. 50. And they have a French press. That's great. Did you put your hand up? Did somebody put their hand up over here? No? All right. Saw some hands flying. Warren? A hooker in his living room. I know, I know. And if you want to know what that means, you can see Warren at the end of the service. <laughs> All right. That's good. <laughs> I love it. Warren's awesome. Somebody else. Somebody else. Yes, ma'am. 
a Batman bathroom. It's a Batman-themed bathroom. Nice, a Batman-themed bathroom. Anybody else have one of those? I know. Now we all want to come to your house and use the bathroom so that we can see. Somebody else as I'm walking through. Anybody else over here? Any, all hands in the middle. Sharon? A painting of all the streets. How many, how many streets have you lived on since you've been married? Eight. Eight. Fifteen. Thirty. Marvin's great. Ben? An unlock. I'm not going to repeat that one in the microphone. And your address is right now. Can't can't lock there. Can't lock the front door. That's that's so great. That's so you too, Ben. It's so that's if you know Ben, you're like yeah, that's Ben. Travis. Bed sheets on your ceiling. Wow. All right. All right. That's pretty cool. All right. Janine. Lizard. Fish and a dog. Lots, lots of pets. Who are, who are the pet people in here? How many pet people, right? I know, lots of, wow, that's a lot of hands. That's a lot of hands. I hear you, all right? So let me, let me share this, let me, let me share this statement with you. Did I miss something? Let's see. All right, okay. Don't, don't leave me out just because I'm talking up here, all right? Let me share this, let me share this statement with you. Actually, let me get my clock set up. That's important. Because nobody of my age can read the clock that's in the back back there. That's for the younger younger eyes. I need one that's really big right here. There we go. All right. If we want this house, speaking of this church, to look like his house, then we need to go to his word for his instruction. Right? Because when you're at a church, it should feel like it belongs to God. When we're at your house, it feels like it belongs to you because you've, you've done things there to make it your own. You've, you've put things there that are uh, uh, an expression of who you are, of your tastes. There are things in your home that are a reflection of your, your values, right? We, we like to call the church a house for many reasons, but one of them is this, because it's God's house. And because it's His house, it should be an expression of his values. It should be an expression of his preferences. And his Bible is given to us to look into and ask the question, God, if this is going to be your house, what do you want us to add to it so that when people are here that they know it's yours? So I'm going to start with this verse. This, we're going to work out of this verse tonight. It's Matthew 13, 52. And it says, and Jesus said to them, therefore every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Now this is a curious verse because it's just kind of plopped down there. It doesn't have a lot that happens before it or a lot that happens after it. It's just, it's one of these statements of truth that Jesus gives. And if you read the Bible too quick, you'll blow past this kind of verse. And so we have 
really began to take on this verse, it was really about four years ago when we launched the Williamsburg campus, God began to speak to me about how this verse is a blueprint of sorts for what God's house should look like. And we used to only do three. I'm adding a fourth one tonight that I really felt like the Holy Spirit really spoke to me and said, Fred, you've been missing one. And so we're going to start tonight with Jesus said. We usually talk about being a house that becomes a disciple. So even if you've heard this teaching a couple of times, the first part you've not heard before, it's not one that we've focused on. So let's talk about being a house, a house that Jesus said. Genesis 41, 45. Then Pharaoh named Joseph, all right, I'm going to make a stab at this, all right? And I'm just saying, if you're, if you're pregnant and you have a son, you should really think about using this name, right? Not enough people are naming their child this. All right, so then Pharaoh named Joseph Zophanath and in, all right, now I'm messing it up. All right. No, it's Zophanath Panea. There it is. I've been, I've been practicing it this week. It's Zophanath and he gave Osnat, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, his wife. And Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. That, that name's a mouthful, isn't it? It's a powerful name, and the reason why I'm sharing it, and the reason why I've been working on it is because I've been praying about it, because this, this name is important. This name means God speaks and God is alive. That's a powerful name, isn't it? Zophanath Panea. God speaks and God is alive. And you know what I love about this? Is that it's the Egyptians that gave him this name. It wasn't the Israelites that gave Joseph this name. It was the Egyptians. Through watching him, observing him, seeing him live out his life, and seeing the gift and the anointing that was upon him play out in the story of their nation, they being a pagan nation that worshipped pagan gods, looked at this man who was a foreigner in their midst and said, basically, you serve the one true God because through you we know that he lives and that he speaks. We want to be a church that helps you discover the God conversation that he wants to have with you. We want to be a church that is filled with people that as you watch us, as, as you walk through life with us, there's something about who we are, there's something about the way that we live that you say, I think God is alive and I think he wants to talk to me, that he speaks and he lives. Now, Joseph is a fascinating story, and we're not going to go into that in great, deal, great de in great detail tonight because we talked a lot about not the story of Joseph specifically, but the principle behind the story of Joseph last week. And if you weren't here, you should check that out in the podcast as we launched our series, Good News. Most of us love the idea of the story of Joseph being in the Bible because it's rich. If you've ever studied, you know, right? It's just so rich. It's rich. But none of us, none of us want to be the person that God picks to be the Joseph to give that story to the world. Who wants that, right? We love the fact that the story's there, and we love the fact that he picked Joseph to give it to the world. And they didn't pick us. Because sometimes, sometimes it takes incredible crisis. Sometimes it takes life altering crisis to bring us to a place where we're desperate for the truth that God is alive and that we are ready to hear his voice. 
So many times in Jesus' teaching, he used this phrase, he that hath an ear, let him hear. Or if you, with those of you with ears, that you would hear. And he's not talking about your physical ear, he's talking about your spiritual ear. He's talking about the part of you that is eternal, that has the capacity to talk with the creator of the universe. I've never heard God's voice, I like to say I feel his voice, but God, when you were born, you were born with the ability to talk with God. And, and, and sometimes, whether it be because you're running from God, or maybe it's just because you grew up in a home where they didn't give you a vision for this truth that God is alive, that he wants to speak to you, God is going to do things to bring you to a revelation that he lives. And sometimes he's going to do hard things in your life. We like to call it your desperation revelation. That he wants your heart to come to a place of being convinced that he lives and that he wants to speak to you. That's the vision of our worship ministry here is that we're going to awaken you to the presence of God. That's what, that's what it's about. It's to awaken you to the presence of God. It's one of the reasons why we have a teaching pulpit is because we want to begin to give you an appetite for the God conversation that he wants to have with you. I remember just a couple of years ago, we were on vacation and uh, we were, uh, we like to go down to the Outer Banks and we were uh, down there and it was really early on in our, our vacation and I was just sitting out one afternoon, I was reading the Bible and looking out over the, over the sound. I, I kind of want to go there now, right? Isn't, doesn't it feel good? I know, I know. So you, I was just there relaxing and, and, uh, and hanging out and I'm reading in 1 Corinthians and, uh, and I, I get to the first chapter and I, and I get to this 10th verse where it says, I appeal to you dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no division, right? Let there be no division in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And as I was reading that, I was teaching our, our interns through the practice now. We're going to talk a little bit about that later. But we were talking about this verse just this, this past week. This is Paul giving us a definition of what a vision is supposed to be, right? A vision brings people together and when it says that they will be of one mind, it says united in thought and purpose. It means that every vision, especially if it's a vision that's going to be able to rally people together and bring unity to the church, that that vision should have a message component that's united in thought, and it should have a mission component that's being united in purpose. And when we were on vacation in the summer of 2014, I really felt like God spoke to me and said, Fred, I think that City Life has really dialed in the message that I've given you to bring to to, to the 757, which is heaven now and heaven forever. And we're going to be talking about that in Discovering City Life. So if that's new for you, that's another reason why you need to be in there. But really what he spoke to me in that moment was, Fred, but there's a mission that now that I want to give to you. You guys have this message dialed in, but now there's a mission that I want you to begin to go on. And so that began to send me on a journey of having a conversation with God. And then when we got back, it was really talking with the governance team about what God was speaking to us. And it was through those conversations that our 2020 vision was born. And if you were with us all last year, you know the launching of the Suffolk campus was the culmination of that moment. And we know that Praxis 9, which I just referenced, our nine-month internship program, which we have our first three uh, interns uh, in that program that we're proud of and excited about, and uh, th th that's a product of that, that we knew we wanted to start a school of leadership to prepare the next generation to continue on to, to lead here at City Life or wherever that God has called them to. I I'm telling you that story because you know where it started? It started with the belief in me that God is alive and that he wants to speak to me. That's where it started. 
right? If I'm just reading the Bible because I want to anesthetize my conscience, because I want to make myself feel better about myself, because there's this list of things that I'm supposed to do, then I'm just reading, but God doesn't just want you to read. He wants you to experience, and he wants you to experience his presence, and in his presence, he wants to speak to you. He's got plans for you. He's got things that he wants to say to you. He wants to talk to you. He wants you, when you come into places like this, when you uh, maybe go for a walk and you've got some worship music that you're listening to, or maybe you're sitting down, you're, you're up early in the morning before everybody else gets up and you're reading your Bible, he wants you to come to that moment with an expectation that he is alive and that he wants to talk to you. And we want to be a church that gives you a vision for that. We're going to be a house of Jesus said. A house of Jesus said. All right, let's talk about being a house of disciples. House of disciples. Just because you're in church doesn't mean that you're into God. You can be in the building and you can be in the room. And that's all that there is for you. And that was my story all growing up. And for some of you, it's your story now. Listen to this verse in 2 Timothy 2, 19 to 21. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows, he knows who are his, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. Now, this is the analogy that he gives. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil, utensil for honorable use. The implication there is in God's house. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use you for the master to use you for every good work. It's a powerful picture, isn't it? That God's going to reach for you to do something. Isn't it interesting that both utensils are all in the same house? Right? The ones that are made of wood and the ones that are made of clay are a spiritual metaphor of a person that is lifeless. It's a person that's not yet made a vow of devotion to Christ. They've not yet surrendered their life to Christ. They're in the same house with the other utensils. Why is that there? Why did the Holy Spirit inspire Paul to write this as he's writing to 2 Timothy? He's, he's saying, hey, Timothy, with these churches you start, just because the room is full of people doesn't mean that everyone there belongs to God. They can be in the right place, but it doesn't mean that God is in them. And so this is this idea of becoming a disciple. We want to be a church where it might begin with you coming into the room but by being in the room, we want something to get stirred up inside of you that says, I don't want, just want to be in church. I want the God of that church to be in me. And that, that you're going to, not just this idea that, as we talked about before, a, a, a house of, of Jesus said, that you believe that, that, that God is alive and he wants to speak to you, but that you believe that God wants to use you. That he wants to use you. That if another Bible were to be written, and it's not, and that's another sermon for another time, that there might be a story of your life of how God used you that would be put in there. He wants to reach for your life. He wants to pick you up and say, I'm going to use you to do this and such. House of Disciples. So you got a handout when you came in. If you didn't, make sure you find someone with a blue shirt. I'm giving you this because I want you to have this as a resource. We got snowed out, if you know, just a couple of weeks ago. 
And so this was the service that we were going to do together that weekend. We go through this content at least one time together as a church every year. And so instead of just missing it, I said, I'm, let's just put it in their hand. And so I just I want to point you in a couple of different directions. One is that on the back of this, we did this sermon just recently, and you can get it on our podcast. It was from January 16th, and we worked through all of these together. We also worked through these same ones together a year ago, and if you go to the, the church's webpage and you select Newport News as the campus, right, select Newport News, then click all sermons that you can find to the right a, a, hype, a, a link that says Praxis, and that'll take you back to a sermon from February 14th. And, and we talk about these same things again, right? I just, I want you to have access to our teaching on what we call these virtue blockers. This, the rest of this, you're going to be able to work through this, right? There's, you can do this on your own, or I would invite you to maybe if you don't have a devotional that you're using, pick this up and work through this over the next several days. You might have a small group of people that you meet with and work through what we call the 1, the 6, the 12, and the 24. Again, if that's new uh, terminology for you, then you need to go to Discovering City Life, right? There's an invitation, there are commands, and there are pathways, and there are virtues. If I accept the one, then I must obey the six. And when I obey the six, I walk in the 12. And when I walk in the 12, I become the 24. We, we have a strategy for discipleship here. We, we want you, when you make a vow of devotion to Christ, to not wake up the next day and say, what do I do next? We want to put something in your hand that says, no, this is what you do next. This is how you begin your journey of discipleship, of making your life ready to be used by God and to become more like Him every day. All right, let's go to the, let's go to the third one, a house of disciples. Let's talk about a house of owners. I'm gonna, I'm giving you, I know I'm giving you a lot of homework tonight, but you need it. Come on. I need it. House of owners. Now, I'm not going to preach this message because we just preached it on September 5th of 2015, we did a whole sermon on Luke 5, 1 through 11. Same thing. Go to our podcast page, select Newport News. Uh, go, to, go to our webpage, select Newport News as a campus, and then uh, go to all sermons, and then you can find this. It's right there. Those notes are all there. So, so this is what just, the, let me just give you a little synopsis. So many people, they view church as a pleasure cruise. Remember that message where we talked about that? Right? If, how many people have been on a cruise before? Right? One of the reasons why cruises are fun is that you don't have to do anything. Everybody does everything for you, right? That's not church, right? And for many people, that's how they approach church. They want it to be, they want it to be a pleasure cruise where they come in and everybody there is serving them, but there's nothing that they're doing to give back. That church has become a, a spiritual vacation of sorts for them. God has a work that he wants to do in you and through you. And so in this text, in Luke 5, 1 through 11, when you go there and listen to that sermon, we talk about how the fact that Jesus got into a fishing boat to teach a little bit was intentional. He did not get into tour boats. They had tour boats back then. They, he didn't get into some cruise boat. They had those back then, right? They looked a little bit different, but it was still there. He got into a working vessel. Because I think what he was saying is this is what church is going to be like. We work together for the harvest to go out and be fishers of men. If, if you're thinking about city life being your home, we want you to have a sense of ownership here. That it's, it's your church. It's not just the church that you attend that belongs to someone else. It's not Pastor Fred's church. It's Jesus' church. And it's your church. It's our church together. 
We want to be a house of Jesus said. We want to be a house of disciples. And we want to be a house of owners where people have a sense of responsibility for what happens here. You, you know one of the reasons why I'm excited that this is who we are as a church is because when we launched that Suffolk campus, right, people began to sell their houses and move to new places, right? It was unbelievable. It was amazing. The, just the, uh, earlier in January when we had the service, if you were here and all those people, about 60 or so people came up and we prayed over them and said, why is that? Because this is their church and it's their vision. It's not mine and I'm asking people to do things for me. We're finding this vision together and we're saying, God, use us for your glory to have an impact in this region in the seven. Five, seven, we're a house of owners, house of new treasures, house of new treasures. This is the part at the end of this verse in, 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 in Matthew that, that, that can be a little bit elusive, and, 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 and we have an opinion about what we believe this means. And there's lots of different opinions out there if you go and check out commentaries, but, but uh, we, we have something that we feel like it, of what it means to us. And, and when it says that he goes into his treasure room, his, 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 his vault of sorts, right? Whatever that would have looked like 2,000 years ago. And it says he brings things out that are new and old. I, I think that that's instruction by God to the church that's very specific. I think what he says in this verse is that not every new treasure is going to become an old treasure. Meaning that there are things that God is going to call you to value. He's going to call you to celebrate. It's going to be a treasure to you. It's going to be something that's important to you. But it's not supposed to be a treasure forever, ever. Not every new treasure is supposed to become an old treasure. Not every new treasure is supposed to become an old treasure. Now, watch this. In John 20, 17 through 18, Jesus says this is after he has... Is after his resurrection, this is one of his first, what's called his post-resurrection appearances, and he's talking to Mary. Not Mary, his, his mother, but Mary Magdalene. He says, don't cling to me, Jesus said. We're going to talk about that word cling. In the Greek, it's hapto. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father, and that your Father, and to your Father, and to my God, and to your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples, told them, I have seen the Lord, and then she gave them his message. Now, there's lots of ideas, too, about what this means, where he says, don't cling to me. Some Bibles uh, uh, translate, don't touch me, but that's not the right word. Again, in the Greek, it's hapto, and it means to literally cling. It means to hold on to something. I, re I remember when I was in elementary school, I had woken up one day and decided, I am not going to school today. Not going. Not going to school today. And so when we were at the bus stop, right, I didn't, I just, I never, I didn't say anything. I just went through the normal routine that, 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 that we went through. And when the bus pulled up, I grabbed hold of my mother in a way that 10 men would not have been able to separate me, right? She tried. She was embarrassed. She's trying to get, right? I am clinging to her for dear life. Now, I did not go to school today, but I won't tell you the rest of the story. But when my dad got home, I wish I had gone to school that day, right? You, you, this idea of clinging to something, that's this word. It's, there's an intensity to it. It's a, I will not be deterred and I will not let go. There, there's a strength to this word in the Greek. And so that's why it's best translated, don't 
don't cling to me. And I think what Jesus is saying to Mary here is that I've not yet ascended to the Father, but I'm going to ascend to the Father, Mary. I'm with you right now in this moment, and we've been together for these last three years, but things are going to change. I'm not going to be here anymore. And if you continue to study in the, in, the, in, the, in the chapters preceding that, Jesus actually says to them, it's good that I'm going so that the Comforter can come. He's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, can you imagine being one of these people that were with Jesus for these three years of his ministry, now seeing him raised to life, now you're convinced that he's the Messiah? How on earth could it be good that he's not going to be there? But that's what he's telling Mary. He's saying, Mary... There is a future for you, and it's going to look different than the last three years. You cannot hold on to what was. You've got to be ready for the new that God has for you. Now, that's important for some of you because some of you, you've fallen into this trap of this mindset is that your best spiritual days are behind you. Right? Some of you have fallen into this trap that, that if the church could just get a hold of what the church got a hold of 25 years ago by way they, the music that they sing, by the way that they dress, by the times that they meet. Are you tracking with me? That some of you, you're not willing to step into the future of the church because you're stuck into the past, because you're clinging to what once was when God wants you to give you a vision of something new. Right? So as a church, we're, what we say is we're a house of new treasures, which means that we're always asking the question, is this supposed to be something that we are supposed to cling to, or is this supposed to be something that we're willing to let go of? The music in the church, I believe, is something that should be constantly changing. I believe the music for the church, and it is for us here, we call it a generational tether. Our music belongs to our young people. If you want the next generation to be here when it's time to give the church over to them, then you better give them some stuff now, right? And if the church, come on, you can clap for that. Or maybe you don't want to clap for that. That's up to you. And if you didn't grow up in a church like that, right, you might say, well, that's not fair. I, had to, I, I waited my turn. Now is, now is my turn, right? It's not your turn. What I would say to you, with kindness, is that you missed your turn. And the way that you're going to be fulfilled is not to have your turn, but to give your turn away. Because that's Christianity. And, and if, if you're looking to be fulfilled by saying, no, no, I want it to be like I want it to be because I've been waiting in line my whole life. That, I'm just telling you, I don't know what that is. Okay, I do know what it is, but it's not Christianity, right? You want to be a person. I want to be a person that says, God, I don't want to hold on to any treasure that I'm supposed to set down so I can pick something else up. We're, we're, we're a church of new treasures. How we organize, how we staff, where we meet, locations, times of service. Are you with me? Old treasures, new treasures. Churches that are dying are dying because they're the new treasures that were new in 1972 is still their treasure today. It's still their treasure today because they've not, they've not got a hold of this, 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 this concept. They've got to lay some things down so they can pick some things up. Old treasures. Now, we're a house of both new treasures and old treasures is what we're going to get to because if you're only a house of new treasure, then you're just a church that's chasing relevance. 
And then you become irrelevant because of that. He brings out of his storehouse, it says in Matthew 13, treasures both new and old, right? So a healthy church has new treasures that are constantly turning over, and it has old treasures that anchor them, things that are not ever going to change. It defines who they are. Some of those are doctrinal, and they should be the same in all churches. And some of them are unique to every congregation. And I think one of the greatest, one of the greatest measures, one of the greatest measures of whether or not a church is locked into this idea of treasures both new and old is are they reaching the next generation? It's one of the greatest measures. Are you, you reaching the next generation? All right, you want to talk about some old treasures? Old treasures. We've got multiple old treasures here. You're going to learn about some of those in discovering city life, but I'm, I'm going to give you three of them tonight. And I would say these are three of our most precious, right? You can think of me going into the storehouse of the 10 years of City Life Church and just putting out three special treasures in front of you tonight. And, and this is the first one. It's the treasure of the goodness of God. That's never going to change for us. No matter what your circumstances might be, no matter what situation that you might be in, God is good. And that's the only thing that he can ever be in your situation, in your circumstance. And I'm telling you, when you lock a hold of that, when you get that treasure in your, in your spiritual vault, there is nothing in this world that you will not be able to weather. There will be no storm that you cannot make it through. Psalm 27, 13, I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You've heard us say that verse over and over and over and over and over again. And we're going to keep saying that verse over and over. Can I tell you this? If you want your young people to trust you to teach them the old treasures, then be willing to give up the new ones. One of the reasons why you, we lose our, our right to influence the next generation is because we're holding on to treasures that we're trying to stuff down their throat. And when it comes to the ones that they really need to receive from us, they don't want to receive it because we've been too busy banging them over the head about the stuff that doesn't matter. You, we, we have got to keep getting this right. I think we get it right as a church. We've got to keep getting it right as a church. And so we're talking about this tonight as our welcome weekend because we want you to know who we are as a church. We're, we, we have a culture of change here, and at the same time, we have a culture of not changing. With me? And they hold each other in a healthy tension. We believe in the goodness of God. We believe in the goodness of God. All right, let me give you another one. We believe in the potential of people. I love the story in 1 Samuel 16, 7. We believe in the goodness of God. We believe in the potential of people. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. Right? So if you're not familiar with the story, Samuel has been called by God. He's a prophet. And, uh, and, and, and God says, we're going we're gonna to pick a new king. And I want you to go to Jesse's family. And, uh, and he's got all these sons. And, and, and Samuel's working his way down the line. All the sons are lined up and he's working his way down the line saying is it going to be this one is it going to be that one and there's some commentary that Samuel gives this one's tall this one's handsome this one looks strong surely he's going to be the next great king and this is when God steps in right don't don't look at his appearance don't don't look at his don't look at his physical stature says I've refused him the Lord does not see as man sees a man looks at outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart and this is the the story of the calling of David who, who didn't even make the cut to be in the line but yeah, he's the next king of Israel this is, this is the kind of church that we want to be. We want to be a church that does not see you for who you are based on the person that you are today, 
We want to see you for who God's called you to be. And that's how we're going to treat you. That's how we're going to respond to you. We, we're not going to be afraid of people that come in whose lives are, are broken. We're, we're not going to be hesitant to get involved in people's lives that are in desperate circumstances and in situations. Why? Because we don't see you for that circumstance and that situation. We see, we, 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 we want God to give us a vision for who you're supposed to become, and we want you to get a vision for who you're supposed to become. Your situation now does not have to continue to define you. What should define you is the vision that you have to become more and more like Christ. That's why I shared that verse in Hebrews with you for communion. By one sacrifice, he has, is, has made us perfect, those who are being made holy. He sees us as Jesus already. Not because he's naive, but because he has a vision for who you can become. And that's what we want you to experience here at this church. We don't want you to be afraid to bring people here that you might say, well, I'm not sure I should bring them, you know, because their life's a wreck. Well, then that's why you should bring them, right? That's why you should bring them. That's why, because they need community. They need God. They need teaching, like what we're talking about tonight. They need to be in God's presence. They need to know that he speaks and that he wants to have a conversation with them. So tonight we're doing something a little bit special. I've got one more that I'm going to do, and then then we're going to switch over to good news just for a few minutes. But we're on time, just in case you're a clock watcher and you're wondering if we're going to make it. We're going to make it. All right. So we're doing something a little different tonight. Every, every year at this time, the finance team and the governance team looks into the Faith Promise Fund. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Faith Promise Fund and the 2020 Vision Fund in the, in the coming weeks. But the, the Faith Promise Fund is a fund that is set up that you give to. And, uh, and we use that money to fund missions, and we use it to advance the vision of the church. And, and, uh, but, but, but we don't want there to be a large reserve in there. Does that make sense? We want that money to go out. And so we keep a reserve that's necessary for the commitments that we have for the coming year. But if there's a surplus, then we want to give that money out to groups that we support. And then we also want to give that money out to, to some new groups. And so we're just, I'm just, if you're familiar with the church, this might not mean a lot if you're not familiar with the church. But if you're part of our church, we want you to celebrate in this moment with us because this is your money. Does that make sense? You've given this. And so we have a $2,500 check that we're giving to Bridges for uh, what's going on in Haiti. For Marvin. Marvin and Sharon are what we would, would say they're, they're, they're full-time missionaries at home, full-time in the ministry. And so uh, there's lots of neat things that they do, but one of them is that Marvin leads trips to Haiti and builds bridges. Malcolm, uh, Malcolm's on a, in a blue shirt. He's going with, with Marvin in February, right, to, to go on that trip. And there's a neat story that's connected to that check. And if you want to hear that, then you find Marvin after the service. I know that he's going to want to tell you. Where is Hannah? Hannah Emily. There's Hannah in the back. So I'm going to come back there in a minute. I'll just talk about Hannah. So Hannah and Forrest. Forrest is working, but he couldn't be here. Uh, but they really feel like they've been at the church for the last two years. And uh, we met with them recently. And uh, uh, Hannah has known for a long time that, that God is gonna, was going to call her to uh, be a missionary in China. And, uh, and so if you're interested in more about that story, you should talk with them because they love to tell the story and you need to hear it. And, uh, and so they met at CNU. And, uh, and they are leaving for China this summer in July, and they're going until May, and this is part of them testing the calling. Does that make sense? You do a, an extended trip like this to really, let's live there, let's immerse ourselves. They're doing language training, and, uh, and so they have a, a $15,000 budget that they're trying to raise, and so the church is going to give them $1,000 tonight 
towards that budget. So there you go. Yeah. Because they because they are uh, going into full time mis- uh, missions work in this and where their home church, they're going to get from us what's called a provisional missionary status, which means that you can give to them through the church and get a tax deduction for that. So if you have questions about that, uh, you can come and talk to me. And uh, but maybe God's just speaking to some of you about getting involved in, in in their life and in their situation. So the next one is for Cortez and Claudia for the Catalyst Effect. We have a five hundred dollar check we're giving to them. Come on, they're doing some great things through that ministry. They're also full-time in ministry, home missions, and what they're doing through the Catalyst Effect. You can find them online, you can talk with them, but they're doing amazing things. And, and I would say they, in and of themselves, everything they do is about helping people find their potential. And uh, it's powerful. So, all right, so this is the last check that I've been saving. All of those are exciting. This one's a little bit different from those. But if, if you've been with us over the last several weeks, you know we've been talking about Warren and Sandy. Now that we know that he has a hooker in his living room, well, maybe we shouldn't give him this check. But, yeah, he's great. It's great. So, it's a joke. It's, I know. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. So, if you know he's we're, you know, we're not going to talk about their, their situation. You can go on to listen to some podcasts if you want to get some background on that. Uh, you can go to GoFundMe, uh, Warren Matthews. You can go there and learn a little bit about their story. Uh, but because of the uniqueness of their situation, uh, because of their longevity, uh, being here as a part of this church family, we, we extended you uh, an opportunity to give to their, to their situation and, and give you did. And give you did. The church has added a little bit of money to this, but the vast majority of it came from the congregation. And so we're giving them a check tonight for $10,608. I know. Come on, we love you. Yeah. We love you. Come on, you can stand up and clap for them. When I called them to tell them several weeks ago that we were going to do it, I said, I, don't, I said, I don't know how much money is going to come in. It could be a little bit or it could be a lot. We just don't know, but we're going we're gonna to do it anyways. And I think it was more than a lot that any of us expected. And, uh, and it speaks to the preciousness of who they are. If you know Warren and Sandy, you know that they're the people that we're talking about tonight. They're, they are some of the most gracious, loving, forgiving, patient people that you could ever meet. And I think they would admit sometimes to their own fault. But that's what makes them beautiful. That's what makes them beautiful. The risks that they've been willing to take with people their whole lives, they're absolutely precious. Absolutely precious. And so I know that if you miss the opportunity to give to them, I know I got a text just this morning uh, that, that uh, I think more checks are going to come in. So it's going to be good. All right, I got one more, and then I want to talk a little bit. Okay, maybe I lied about getting out of here at 6.30 just a little bit. So. But it's worth it, isn't it? Wasn't that awesome? So good. So good. You might not think so, but I'm having a great time, I'll tell you. Right. <laughs> Exodus 12.4. We believe in the goodness of God, we believe in the potential of people, and we believe in the centrality of church. The church and community must be at the center of your Christian experience. It's not at the center of your salvation, that's Jesus. But as far as your Christian experience, you, you've got to immerse yourself in community. 
And one of the most powerful prophetic pictures actually happened at the very first Passover. I'm not going to teach on that extensively tonight. We, uh, we, we get excited about Passover because it's what we just did. It's the picture of the judgment of God passing over us and the lamb that was slain and the picture that is of Jesus. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to diminish that in any way. It's powerful. But we forget the prophetic picture that's also there for the church. It gets left out. Exodus 12, 4 says, And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. So they had to all get a lamb, right? And, and they had to sacrifice this lamb, and they put the blood on the doorpost of the home. So when the death angel passed, which is the last plague, that, that he would pass over the houses that are marked, right? But there was a rule that God gave, and the rule was that you may not waste any of the lamb that's sacrificed. So if your family is too small to consume the whole lamb, then you've got to join together with other people and do it together. And then we get this picture of all these people in their homes by themselves, but it wasn't that way. The majority of them were multiple families in someone's home because they had to get their number up to rise to meet the measure of the lamb that was sacrificed. Why is that a picture of the church? Because Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. So I'm asking you, how many people do you need to be connected with to rise to the measure of the life of who Jesus Christ is? I'm saying the answer to that is a lot. It's a lot. The people of the Bible had no concept, Old and New Testament, of being a child of God all by yourself. It's always been about community, from Genesis to Revelation. If you don't have a church that you're calling home, you need to find one because the offering of Jesus' life compels you to be in community. He's just too much for just one person. Too much for just one person. And it doesn't have to be at this church. If you're leaving here tonight and you're saying, Fred, I'm not sure I'm into everything that you are, we're good with that. Come, just don't slink away. Come talk to us and we'll give you a whole list of churches that you should go visit. Tell us what you're looking for. We'll recommend churches to you in this area. It's not about city life church growing. It's about the kingdom growing and it's about diminishing the number of spiritual orphans that are in the 757 in our lifetime. Let's make that number smaller. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. So I've got good news and bad news. Uh, it's part of our series. We've got good news and bad news. You know I'm going to give you the bad news first. I talked about that last week. You've got to listen to the podcast if you want to know why that is. But, but I'm going to give you the bad news first. Some of you in here tonight are goats. You're a goat. That's the bad news. The good news is that you can leave a sheep. Let me tell you what that means. How many people woke up to a little bit of snow and ice? Was it Friday morning? Friday morning? Yeah. So I go outside. I'm going to start my car, warm it up, melt all the ice and snow that's covered it, right? Go back into the house and have my espresso and my, my cereal. I'm waiting and turn my heated seats on, right? All that kind of fun stuff. The closer I get to my car, I realize that both of my front windows are all the way down and my sunroof is open. Mm -hmm. My key fob, I think, is possessed by the devil. (laughs) So apparently, which I did not know, there is a strange combination of button pushes on the key fob for my car 
that if you push them in just the right order, the windows will go down and the sunroof will open. I did not know, but it, it exists. And I remember when I was coming in Thursday night, we were out, I was out late. We had a practice night. I taught a class that night, and I was coming in. It was around 9 or so. I had all this stuff in my hand. My arms were full, right? And I remember having my key and holding it tight so I didn't drop it in the, in, in, in the dark. I, in, in hindsight, right, I, I'm thinking about this. And somehow, some way, I did exactly the right type of combinations to do all that. So my car was full of snow, full of ice, right? It's enough to make you forget that you're trying to become like Jesus. <laughs> right? So, so that's how my day started, right? I hope your day started a little bit better than that. But Friday, it's still wet. I, right? It's still wet in there. I woke up this morning. There was condensation everywhere on the inside of the car, right? On the inside. I'm telling you that because when I, when I came out and I got close to the car, I had this feeling of surprise that's not good. You ever had that feeling? You, where you feel surprised at what's happening. It's not what you expected. And you're what you're like, how, how can this be, right? What, what, that you, you've, you've had that emotion. Let me read this to you. This is Matthew 25. It's a little bit of a run of, of, of verses, but I want to give them all to you because I think we need to hear them together. Verse 31, Matthew 25, But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit upon His glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered in His presence, and He will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep at His right hand and the goats at His left hand. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you? And it goes down and lists all the things that... that Jesus said, and, and this is his reply in verse 40, and the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to the one of the least of these of my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Powerful, isn't it? Verse 41, then the king will turn to those on his left, and he will say, away with you, you cursed one, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons, right? This is strong language in the Bible, but it's right in here. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And then they will reply, Lord, when, when, did, we, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? And they give the same list. And this is his answer. I will tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And listen to what he said. And they will go away into eternal punishment eternal punishment not a timeout eternal punishment but the righteous will go into eternal life i think god i think jesus taught those verses because he did not want anyone on their day of judgment to be surprised at his decision that feeling that you can relate to that feeling that i had just this week Jesus knows there's going to be times in our lives when we have that feeling. And he's saying, you better not have that feeling on the day of judgment. You should not have that feeling on the day of judgment. There's, you should know what's waiting for you. 
not that you earn your way into heaven by the things that you do, but the things that you do are evidence of whether or not you've accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on behalf of your life. So I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me. We're just going to create a moment of privacy for people right now. just want to create a moment of privacy. I'm going to ask you to do two things, and this is the first one. If you're here tonight and you would say, Fred, I know that I'm going to stand before Jesus one day. And I got to tell you, I'm just not sure which line I'm going to be in. I don't know if I'm a sheep or a goat. Maybe you can look back into the story of your life and find a moment where you made a vow of devotion to Christ, but you know that you've not been walking that out. You might have said some words, but they didn't really come from your heart. So I'm just asking you tonight, if you're here and you would say, Fred, I'm just, I'm not sure, and I don't want to be surprised when I get there, I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand. Just slip it up. Just slip your hand up. Come on, that's good. I see your hand, sir. I see your hand, ma'am. Somebody else. I want you to picture that moment. You're standing in front of Jesus. Are you surprised? Yes, ma'am, I see you right there. Are you not sure what he's going to say? Come on, because you can know. You can know which side he's going to invite you to stand on. Come on, just a minute, just just a minute longer. Somebody else. Yes, sir. I see your hand. Come on, that's good. So this is what we're going to do in just a minute. We're not going to do it yet. This is the second thing I'm going to ask you to do. It's going to require a little bit of courage, not a lot, just a little bit, just a little bit. Marvin and Sharon... Steve and Laurie Ruggiero are going to go wait in the, in, the, in the back of the auditorium here. And we've got a room that's just outside here. Because we're going to sing a song together. But while we're singing that song, I want you to talk to somebody. We have a gift that we want to give to you. It's called a New Believer's Handbook. We want you to be able, have an opportunity for someone to pray with you if you want that. And so I, I, I think I saw four hands. I think I saw four hands go up. So I'm just saying when we stand, when we stand to sing... Just step out of your seat and just slip out that back door, and they're going to be waiting for you. We're not going to keep you very long, not really much longer than the time that we're going to sing this song together. If you came with somebody, they're going to wait for you. If you've got kids in the nursery, that's okay. We're going to wait for you. And if you're here tonight, if you're here tonight and you would say, Fred, I've made a vow of devotion to Christ, and I I know that heaven is promised to me, but I just, I still have some things in my life that that, that just, I need someone to pray with me. In the the back corners of, of both, on both sides of the sanctuary, there are some people that are back there for you. As we sing the song, just find your way back there, and they're here to pray with you. Come on, let's stand together. If you raised your hand, come on, make your way to the back there. Give us an opportunity to talk with you a little bit. Father, we thank you for those hands that went up. We thank you for those people that that uh, they, they're not sure what's waiting for them. Come on, tonight, they're never going to have to be unsure again. That they're never going to have to be uncertain again. That whenever they hear those verses that are read in Matthew 25 for the rest of their life, they can say, I know that I'm going to be invited to the sheep side at the end of it all. Father, this is your house. This is your house. Find us faithful to make it look like it belongs to you. Come on, let's worship together.